go ahead and start like always, or most of the time anyway, with the song. So if uh, y'all want to stand and we'll sing, Holy God, we praise thy name. seat. And let's open up in our little booklets to page uh, three. Page three. We are in the section on the creed. Um, this very Trinitarian creed as all of our creeds are. And that's why we sing a very Trinitarian song for this section. Uh, so let's um, start at the top of page three and we'll go ahead and recite this section. Then we'll, we'll get into it. So I'll begin. Recite the Apostles' Creed, the Articles of Faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and I believe, I believe sorry, <laughs> and I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Again, I went on autopilot with some of the old language. Sorry about that. Okay, next question. What important teaching do you learn from these articles of your faith? First of all, 
I learned to believe in God the Father, who has made both me and all the world. Secondly, to believe in God the Son, who has redeemed both me and the whole human race. And thirdly, to believe in God the Holy Spirit, who sanctifies both me and all other Christian people. So last week we looked at this second question, and um, today I want to back up to the creed itself, and we'll just kind of break this apart um, uh, by, by, by clause, by, um, in some cases, by word, and so we'll, uh, we'll just break this up from the beginning. So um, we, uh, we begin with, I believe in God, and we talked about last week how um, to believe in means to place complete confidence and trust in, right? And so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's significant that, you know, the Latin is um, credo in Deum, I believe in God, not simply credo Deum, I believe that God exists, I believe there is God, nor credo Deo, I believe what God says, you know, I believe what he says, you know, I believe God. But both of those two things, his existence and what he says, believing those things are encompassed in this bigger picture of believing in him. And so that's so we talked about that a little bit last week, but I did wanna, want to um, <coughs> rehearse it again. Um, you'll remember that in the Nicene Creed that we recite on Sundays, it begins with, I believe in one God. Um, there's evidence that this creed may have, a, may have had in some early forms that one in there, but it was later removed because since this doesn't get into some of the details that the Nicene Creed does, um, we didn't want to, um, it, to imply that, that Christ and the Spirit are not God. So we, without explaining that the way the other two creeds do, they, the, uh, the one gets omitted as it reaches its final form. Uh, the creed is, this creed is really both the oldest and the newest of the, uh, of the three major creeds. Um, it's the oldest in that it really begins in its earliest form in the second century as part of the uh, Roman baptismal rite, actually in Rome. Um, but it doesn't reach its final form until about the seventh century. So it, it kind of evolves um, over, 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 the, uh, over five centuries. Okay, so we begin with, I believe in God, then we have the Father. In what sense do, do we consider God Father? What, is that, what does that title mean? There's a few senses that we can, we can get here, but uh, so what, in what sense do we call him Father? Head of okay, so father being in terms of him being the source of the Godhead, yeah, that's a little bit um, deeper theologically than, than we would than we um, we talked about that last week, but yeah, that that doesn't usually spring to uh, to mind initially uh, for most folks, but we did talk about that last week in terms of um, some of those controversies with uh, uh, you know the uh, in some of the different parts of the church, but yeah, so he is he is the the the, the head of the family. That's true. <laughs> How does that play out in terms of that specific title, Father, um, when we look at the other two persons of the Trinity? Well, Father implies something. What's it imply? He 
Okay, yes. So, so there has to be a son, a daughter, or sons, or daughters, or sons and daughters in order to be a father. You can't just be a father. Um, um, the uh, polite titles and for uh, some single clergy aside, uh, you can't really be a father without, without children. And so um, in, 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 a, in a really ontological sense, in an essential sense, um, who, is, who is that relationship defined? Like who, who is the other part of that relationship in, in that most essential sense? Jesus, that's right, that's right. So, so in a very particular sense, he, he has that one unique son, Jesus. But we also talk about him as father in other ways, because we don't just say your father who art in heaven, or his father who art in heaven. We say our father who art in heaven. Mm-hmm. Why do we say that? Okay, so we're his children too, and in, and in what way are we his children, scripturally speaking? Adoption, yes. So all of the family of God, all of the people of God um, are adopted. Um, we, are, we are adopted uh, because we are in Christ, because we are united to his son, we are adopted. And then there's an even more general matter than that that we would call him father. Yeah, he made everything. Yeah, he made everything. Yeah, he made everything. Yeah, so, um, so we, have, we have a very, uh, yeah, he's, he's the father of all things, um, uh, especially, especially men, especially angels, the, those that have volition, right? But more specifically, um, he's, he's in, a, in, a, in a more peculiar manner, you might say, he's the father of those who are Christians because they've been adopted into his family, but in a very particular fashion, in a very ontological fashion, the father of Jesus Christ, his only son. He was not always the father of everything else because everything else wasn't always, but he was always the father of God the Son. Um, okay, uh, um, the, next, the next phrase there is almighty. Um, father almighty. Um, there's a couple ways that we, we usually bring in from the Old Testament this concept of God Almighty. There's really two. And different translations will play with this in different ways. Um, in the Old Testament, some translations will translate the Hebrew title or the Hebrew name El Shaddai as God Almighty, right? And that's, that's, a, that's almost a primal um, title. I mean, that, that, that title certainly predates... Um, the Hebrews. Um, it's, it's a very, very old title. He was known by that title before he revealed his personal name, Yahweh, so to speak. I mean, he, so he was, that, that's kind of this, there has to be somebody that's that big out there, you know, kind of thing. But we also have um, in the scriptures and, and um, this, this other title in Hebrew, um, uh, Yahweh Sevaot, uh, um, which is sometimes translated as Lord of Hosts, the one who's um, powerful because he has everything at his beck and call. You know, the armies of heaven are all at his command, that sort of thing. That's what the, the hosts means. In, uh, in Greek, they use the, uh, the word, um, the word is uh, panokrator, um, and in Latin, it's omnipotence. So, you know, we get this 
this sense of, um, you know, we, get, we understand that from the Latin and English a lot more. So this idea that he rules everything, that everything is done at his, his will, that's a, that's a word of sovereignty. Why is the, uh, the doctrine of God's sovereignty such a good thing? Some traditions really emphasize God's sovereignty and some kind of um, don't play with it as much, but um, I think we all should agree that he is sovereign, <laughs> biblically speaking. So why, why, why is that such a good thing for us to know? Okay, so, so um, could he really be a good king if he wasn't sovereign? Okay, so he certainly couldn't be king if he wasn't sovereign. And if he wasn't ultimately sovereign, could he be good? Maybe, but I don't know we'd like him very much. <laughs> he wasn't good. So yeah, okay. So yeah, that, that, that's a big part of it, absolutely. He's in control. He's in control. And that means we can trust him, right? He has some power. Right, and he does have the power to, to enact all that, absolutely, to enforce it, to, to make it happen. Um, he does not answer to anybody. Nobody, there's never sweat on God's brow. Um, there is no plan B in the kingdom of God. Now, those are good things. Those are really good things. Okay, um, any, any other discussion on Father and Almighty? And we'll move on to the next phrase. By the way, there's a really good old book um, that you, you may uh, look up sometime. It's called um, The Catechism Explained. It got reintroduced a lot of times, and it specifically goes through the old 1662 Catechism. And I will admit I am using that a lot in this class because it's a really good resource. Okay, um, maker of heaven and earth, or, or rather creator of heaven and earth. Um, so this is one of those later clauses. We don't really see that until before the 7th century. Um, and it, but, um, but I think that's pretty self, self-evident. I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot we need to, we need to look into that. Except for that it does tell us that God is before all these things. Um, most of the ancient pagan myths kind of had a chaos that pre-existed, right? And then the gods or whatever kind of almost evolve out of the chaos or, or you know, something happens and they... They come out of the chaos, but um, that's not the way we see it. You know, there there is um, some formless and void, but God made that formless and void stuff. You know, he He made that formless and void, and then He made it into something that had form and was not void, right? Uh, so I think that's important. Okay, next next clause, next major clause, um, and in Jesus Christ, and I believe in Jesus Christ. So. Um, we, uh, we put that full believing in in God the Father, and we also do the same um, uh, full, full belief, full trust, full devotion to Jesus Christ. Um, he told us to, and we agree with that. <laughs> Proved himself to, to, to be so. What's the name Jesus mean? Yes, yeah, salvation. So do, you, do you know where it uh, comes from in, uh, in, in, in the, uh, the Hebrew? Joshua, yeah, it's pretty much the same, the same, the same name, absolutely. And if you see Greek 
uh, versions of the of the Old Testament, like the uh, Septuagint, it will um, the Book of Joshua is the Book of Jesus. Um, but yeah, liter- literally, the name Joshua means um, uh, Yahweh salvation. Yahweh is salvation. You know, um, and the Hebrew is yeah. Yehoshua is the way they would have pronounced it originally, and then it variously gets kind of corrupted as the language moves forward. Um, so that indicates what he does. You know, the, the Greek is Jesus, the Hebrew, Yehoshua, Joshua. Um, Yahweh is salvation. And that tells us something about, you know, him, right? That's what he came to do, is to save us. But also we see that he is the Lord God himself. Um, how about that, um, that name Christ? What's, what's that mean? Okay, so Kara, Carolyn whispered Messiah. That's true. What's Messiah mean? Anointed one. Yes, literally it is the anointed one. Um, it is the anointed one. So um, this, this points back to in the, in the Old Testament, who gets anointed? Um, the kings always get anointed. Um, the priests always get anointed. And um, uh, the prophets, not usually, you know, the prophets do the anointing typically, but, um, but we do see these priests being anointed, these kings being anointed. I think there are times when prophets are anointed into a, a very specific office, but not all the time, because sometimes prophets are kind of called as lone rangers. Um, and, and this, this, Develops throughout the Old Testament into a very specific expectation, right? You see little hints of it as early as Genesis, but you don't see, you really see this very, um, you know, there's, there's little, little, little expectations of back in Genesis, the seed of the woman who will, who will crush the head of the serpent, right? Um, what does that look like? We don't really know, you know. They, it looks almost like Adam and Eve expected one of their children was going to be that, and obviously not. Um, but as, as we see more of Revelation, we see more expectation, more expectation. Somebody who will be anointed into that ultimate kingly office, ultimate um, priestly office, and we would say ultimately uh, prof- prophetic office. And of course, that does correspond to the Hebrew um, Messiah. So that's, that's, we treat that as a name, but it's really more of a title. Um, kind of his, his office is the Christ. Um, incidentally, be, be wary when you hear out in the greater Christian world people talking about, I've got this anointing, I've got that anointing, I've got this anointing. Um, oftentimes those are kind of self-proclaimed. And uh, there can be, in some cases, uh, almost setting themselves up like little Christs. And... In some cases, very false little Christs. So watch, watch out for that in some of the uh, the uh, greater Christian culture. That's that that can be a very um, insidious thing. Okay. Um, any 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 further discussion on Christ? Okay. His only Son. Um, so that goes back to what we said about the Father, right? So um, you know, in his in his preexistent nature, Jesus is God the Son. His relationship to the Father was always one of sonship. Um, 
The, the Latin in the creed for only is unicus. You know, we get our word unique from that, right? So he, he is God's unique son. Um, does anybody know what, um, in, in John, the way that they uh, kind of very literally translate that from the Greek in John 1? It's a kind of compound word that uh, that's, that's, uh, we don't really hear anywhere else. Well, specifically only begotten. Only begotten from the Greek um, that is very difficult, uh, but, it, but it is... Um, you know, monogenes, monogenes, goodness gracious me. I'm taking Greek right now. You would think I'd be able to pronounce it a lot better after two semesters. Um, and a previous semester is in my previous degree, so whatever. Um, so, so yeah, we have, uh, th- that's, that's the way the scriptures used to describe that unique relationship. Um, so that's why we, we do say our, our sonship is an adoption. His is that unique sonship that that of, of his very nature, that pre-existent nature. Always, he has always been the son. There was never a time when the son was not. Um, how about our Lord? What does this tell you? Okay, so he has authority over us. We owe him our devotion, absolutely. Um, he is our master, right? So that's, that's, um, that's definitely one of those major themes we see in the scriptures. Probably the earliest confession of the church is Jesus is Lord, right? Um, but there's something else that we see with that title as well. Yes, yes, he is. He is. He is claiming that same authority as the Father, um, because by the first century, that word "Lord" was shorthand for Yahweh. They would not say the divine name; uh, they would not say Jehovah or Yahweh in the, by the first century. But um, they they do what Jews to continue to do to to this day, which is translate that as Lord out of respect. Um, the Hebrew is is um, Adonai. Um, and we see this, of course, in our English New Testament or English Bibles, where it usually many of them will have the cap, the, the Lord in all caps. Um, of course, in the first century, Greek doesn't really have differences between caps and lowercase. It's and there is no caps in Hebrew at all. There's just one case in Hebrew. And in first century Greek, you either wrote in all lowercase or you wrote in all capital. There was there was no um, there was no doing what we do today. But that's a way that in English we make that distinction for the Old Testament usage because in the Hebrew they are different words, right? I mean, you have the name Jehovah, then you do have at times Adon, Adoni, Adonai, you know, depending on how you're going to conjugate that, ver- that, 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 na- or not conjugate, but inflect that noun. But what about in Greek? They don't do that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, when they're quoting those Old Testament passages that are specifically talking about Yahweh, it's just curious. It's just Lord. And there's many passages, at least I can think of a few off the top of my head, not the address, but I can picture them in my Bible, where um, St. Paul or St. Peter 
quote from the Old Testament, a passage that in the Old Testament it specifically says Yahweh, and they're applying that to Jesus. And so, yeah, when we say, when we do call him our Lord, that is um, both acknowledging him to be our master, um, the one to whom we owe devotion, the one who's in charge, but it's also acknowledging him to be, to be God. Uh, five minutes. Um, we can keep going for a little bit if there, or, or if there's uh, any, any particular um, question on this or things surrounding it that you'd like to bring up in the last five minutes, we can do that too. Paul. Oh, okay, that's, that's a really good question. So the question is, Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, so I think, I think there's a couple things to, to, to point out with, with that regarding the Old Testament and the Trinity. One, we do see several places where um, God speaks in a very thorough fashion. Um, you know, Jesus quotes Psalm 110 where, you know, the Lord said to my Lord, um, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool, right? So you've got... Um, Yahweh referring to David's Lord, who is being referred to very in a very divine fashion. So it's like Yahweh's talking to Yahweh, but not talking to himself kind of thing. So you have that kind of thing pop up several times in the Old Testament. Um, you do also have times where you do have this figure of the angel of the Lord. And sometimes when you see the angel of the Lord, he will not take worship. He tells them, do not worship me. I'm just a creature. I'm just a messenger. Other times, the angel of the Lord takes that worship. When the angel of the Lord is taking that worship, you can bet it's a pre-incarnate um, appearance of, of God the Son. Um, and the other thing to remember, though, is that all three persons of the Trinity are, are generally active at the same time. So it can be very difficult in the Old Testament to separate um, you know, whether or not a particular one of the three persons is doing a particular thing. But I do think the angel of the Lord passages when he is receiving worship um, is, is, one of, is one of those times. Um, some people will say that when God appears in a physical form in any, in any way, that's probably God the Son because that's what he does. You know, he, he, he becomes incarnate. So anytime you have this hint at incarnation, it's probably um, God the Son. Melchizedek is another one that some people like to point to. Um, the burning bush, even, is one that people like to point to from time to time. Um, possibly, probably. Um, it's, it's hard to say that dogmatically. It's good, it's good logic, but it's not um, explicit in the text. Um, but I do think we can say that he is showing himself at times in there uh, um, in the Old Testament. And one of the other things to remember in our English Bibles, they will sometimes use the capitalization for angel of the Lord. Um, again, Hebrew doesn't do that. That's the translators making an interpretation there. I've never run across one of those times when, when any of my translations have done that where I've disagreed with them. I, I, think, I think they're usually pretty spot on when they do that. But do recognize that that's, that's something that the translators are doing to draw attention to that fact. Anything, anything else? Anyone else? Okay, we will pick up with, uh, with about halfway through this creed or the third line or whatever, fourth line, um, next week. And I will see you all tonight in Compline.